Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. So, if you guys are regular listeners of Causes or Cures, and thank you if you are, you know that I've done a couple episodes on intermittent fasting, sometimes called IF, especially by people in the wellness circles, the more wellnessy circles. I, I don't think wellnessy is a word, but it can be on this podcast. <clears throat> Um, but you can certainly scroll through some older episodes and see these. Um, for example, well, over a year ago now, Dr. Mark Madsen came on, and that was a, a great episode. Um, he's considered uh, one of the world's experts on intermittent fasting. So you can scroll back and listen to that. My guest today is also considered one of the best top experts on the subject. So we're super happy to have her, Dr. Krista Verity has run numerous clinical trials on intermittent fasting. I think maybe the most, but don't quote me. And she published a great review in 2022, so this year, in Nature Review's Endocrinology, which I read. And it was very thorough. That's why I, I really enjoyed it. And I reached out to her because I said, this is this is one of the best reviews I've read on intermittent fasting. Um, will you come on the podcast? And she graciously agreed. She continues to do research on IF, so hopefully she'll come back on the podcast. Um, And where is she? She is at the Department of Kinesiology and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I said that funny too. Kinesiology. (laughs) Um, It's not a good day for saying words today. Anyhow. In the podcast, she is going to talk about the evidence for intermittent fasting, its relationship to weight loss, its use to help specific diseases, long-term results versus short-term results, right? That's important. Adults versus kids. Are kids doing this? And is there something unique or special about IF, or does it come down to calorie restriction? Um, and if she thinks it's better than other diets. So we're going to cover a lot of territory. So let's connect to Dr. Verity. Give me one second here, guys. All right, guys. On the line, we have Dr. Krista Verity, who just wrote an outstanding review that I read on intermittent fasting, um, clinical application of intermittent fasting for weight loss, progress, and future directions. But before we get into that um, Dr. Verity, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do, um, and you know your studies on intermittent fasting and that sort of thing? Oh, sure. So I'm a professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and I've been studying intermittent fasting for the past 15 years. Uh, our labs probably run the most human trials of intermittent fasting. Specifically, we look at um, alternate day fasting and time-restricted eating diets. And I can kind of explain what those are if you need me to. Yeah, well, that that's actually one of my next questions. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, yeah, I wasn't sure. I was like jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's and I think yeah, you're right. A lot of people hear intermittent fasting or IF. I hear that a lot in the wellness community. But sure, why why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, the different types of intermittent fasting? Oh, sure. So the first thing to keep in mind is that intermittent fasting is uh, like an umbrella term for three different main types of diets. 
The first one is alternate day fasting. So that's when people have like basically a fast day alternated with a feast day. And that just kind of repeats like feast day, fast day, feast day, fast day indefinitely. On the fast day, people can have um, basically just water if they want to do that. Or we often recommend people to have about five or 600 calories as either a lunch or a dinner. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably, it's a little less popular in the US right now. It's That stuff's a bit more popular in the UK and Australia. Um, and then there's the five, two diet, which is a spinoff of alternate day fasting where people just do two fast days per week. Um, and I'd recommend, you know, it's easier to place the fast days, um, in the week, uh, like instead of on the weekends, just because, you know, weekends, mm-hmm. there's yeah. like so many different like social things going on. So it's, it's pretty hard to fast. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then the most popular one in the U S right now is time restricted eating, Uh, I think a lot of people know what that one is. It's when you basically eat within a certain window of time each day. Uh, Probably the most popular form of that is the eight hour diet, also called 16-8. So basically you you eat within um, an eight hour window and then you just fast with like calorie free beverages for um, the remaining hours, like the 16 hours of the day. But, you know, the window can be anywhere from there's been studies from like four hours all the way up to like 12 hours. So you can really pick um, what you want to do with that one. That's the one I think I, I do, I try to do, but I'm not, I don't follow like a specific protocol. I just try to, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat after this uh, time and, and that sort of thing. Um, nice. Seems seems to work for me. I don't know um, but <laughs> 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 for now. Um, so yeah, obviously everybody's concerned about weight loss. Um, and, you know, it's a million dollar industry and intermittent fasting, I feel like is um, gaining, well, it's becoming more and more popular. Um, so can you tell us from your review, from your experience, what, what, what is the relationship between intermittent fasting and weight loss? Um, and if there's any differences between or among the types of intermittent fasting? Oh, sure. So I think, well, just to kind of um, talk a bit more about what you said, that it's becoming so popular. I think people just love these diets because it's so simple. Like previous diet, like all the previous diet crazes were like low carbs or like, you know, 20 years ago is like low fat. So this diet's kind of cool because it like kind of pushes aside all the macronutrient obsession and really just focuses on time. And it's like such a super like accessible diet. Cause like literally if you have like a clock, you can like do these diets. Um, so it's, you know, I think yeah. that's really wonderful. Um, and then you also don't have to buy like a bunch of expensive products and stuff like that, like yeah. bars or whatever. So I think that's kind of why it's become so popular. Um, and they definitely do work for weight loss. So in general, alternate day fasting produces about twice the amount of weight loss as time-restricted eating. Wow. Uh, we run um, probably about almost 30 clinical trials in both alternate day fasting and um, time-restricted eating. And uh, we found that alternate day fasting, you're going to lose, to put it in more like practical terms, about probably like 10 to 20 pounds um, in like three to four months. Whereas time restricted eating, you're going to lose more like about 10, 10-ish pounds or so. Um, but both of them basically result in weight loss because they basically just like have, it makes people eat less. So it kind of, they both like trick the body into eating less food. And then that's why people are losing weight. I know that there's like a lot out there about like ketones and autophagy and all these, like all this stuff on the internet. But honestly in running, you know, we run like thousands of people through different protocols and it's just, people are just eating less. So there's nothing that magical about the diets. (laughs) Eating less. Okay. 
Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, now, in terms of uh, the length of the studies, and I think you mentioned this in the in your review, are most of the studies, they're short-term studies, are there any long-term studies? Uh, yes, yeah, so with um, the 5-2 diet and alternate day fasting, there's about three or four 12-month studies out there. Um, and most of those are done in people with obesity that are healthy, but there's also one done in, um, people with type two diabetes and then all the time restricted eating studies so far are three to four months long or well, actually two to four months long, but we, our labs currently running, um, the first long-term time restricted eating study. Uh, we're hoping to be done this summer and then publish it in the fall, but it's a 12 month study looking at whether or not the eight hour diet can be used for weight loss over six months. And then the following six months is like a weight maintenance period where we like open up the window a bit more to 10 hours to see if people can use that to like maintain that weight loss. Oh, okay. And now, um, in these, in the four trials that you looked at for weight maintenance, um, did people keep the weight off? Uh, They did. Yeah. So if you, you'd have to kind of look at the actual graphs of it. So they statistically kept the weight off. So, you know, they're, you know, the change in weight from month six to month 12 was like one kilogram or something or 1%. Um, But, uh, but you know, it is creeping up a bit. So I think, you know, statistically there was no change, but I think if those studies were, you know, to go on for years, people might gain a bit of that weight back, but we still don't know. Cause again, yeah, the longest studies are 12 months long. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that's the issue with any diet though. Um, yeah. And then it's also like the issue with just like running a randomized control trial. Cause you're basically just putting people in a group that maybe they don't even want to be in like, you know, so I think it's better. You're going to get better adherence. I think long-term if people can like pick a diet, which is like what people do in normal life, they don't like get, go to a bookstore and get randomized to a certain diet book or something. So, yeah. um, Yeah. yeah. I, you know what, I, I love that there's no like restrictions with this diet and you're like, no, like how you said before, I love that. Like, it's not like, Oh, you can't eat fat. You can't eat carbs. Um, I tried cutting out carbs for a while and that was, that was a total no-go. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I actually started studying this because, um, initially I was at UC Berkeley doing a postdoc and I was doing studies of, um, calorie restriction, um, in, in my PhD as well. And I just noticed people got so sick of like recording stuff in like my fitness pal or in like a paper food record every day to like follow these diets. So then I was like, wait, do people actually have to like diet every day to lose weight or, you know, can (laughs) they only have like certain diet days? Like, why are we torturing people basically? Yeah. um, Time-restricted eating is so cool in the sense that, yeah, we're fi- like uh, findings from our lab have shown that if you eat within that eight-hour window or even like a six-hour window, if you're willing to go that far, people naturally cut out three to 500 calories by doing that. So wow. it's a really cool way of like bypassing the MyFitnessPal and just, yes. you know, cutting out calories naturally without having to do all the self-monitoring. Yeah, just keeping it easy. And it just, you know, you can distract your mind in other ways then, and, you know for me, it was like always focusing on a diet and made it worse almost. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know you just get so, so yeah. into I'm like, it. I want to eat that now. Um, I can't eat it. This, there's just many calories in it. Yeah. It just be, you can become obsessive with it. Yeah. Um, and then it's so easy to just like pick the window. And then I always get questions about like early or late windows um, yeah. or like how big the window should be. Um, most of the research is showing that like the six to eight hour windows produce the most weight loss. Um, so yeah, I'd probably aim for that. And then 
earlier eating windows um, are better in the sense that they're like healthier because our bodies are a lot more insulin sensitive in the morning. So like our ability to like put away glucose and process nutrients is much higher, like right when we wake up. And then throughout the course of the day, it just like starts to dwindle. So, you know, early time restricted eating studies have people like finish eating by 3 p.m., which is, you know, great in the sense that you're going to be healthier, but I honestly don't think it's feasible. Like we've tried, we've run like pilot studies where we try to get people to stop eating by like two or three and we get like such high dropout rates. So Uh, yeah. So in our studies and what I find, like whenever I give talks about intermittent fasting at conferences or just the emails I get from people, most people do like 12 to eight. That's like the typical one. Cause you definitely want to like include dinner. Um, like the minute you have to like skip dinner, it's, it's hard. Um, pretty yeah. brutal. Yeah. Like we've had subjects that say, you know, they, with alternate day fasting, we used to have the meal as a lunch, the fast day meal. And so they, these, these like poor participants would like go home and like make dinner for their families and then like have to sit there and like drink tea while like the rest <laughs> of the family was eating the dinner they made. And I was like, Oh, what am I doing? What terrible design. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, that's, that's not good. Um, so for some of the studies looked at specific these diseases, I was I was um, particularly interested in type one uh, diabetes and type two diabetes. We're seeing you know more type two diabetes with COVID now, um, which is an, an oh, interesting yeah. link. Um, so, did anything stand out for intermittent fasting being used? Uh, I'm not sure if treat the right word is this, or uh, somebody who has a disease and follows intermittent fasting. Uh, Yeah. So most of the studies have been done in people with obesity who are like kind of otherwise healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the one thing that kind of stands out is that, you know, intermittent fasting. So any of these diets can help lower like bad cholesterol. So like LDL cholesterol, um, triglycerides, blood pressure, um, and fasting insulin levels. But mainly that happens in people that are like kind of like borderline high. So they have like borderline high cholesterol. If you have like totally healthy levels of blood pressure and cholesterol, you're, you're not really going to see a change in those. That's like one of the things we noticed in the review. Mm-hmm. Um, but people with like prediabetes, definitely those are the people that are seeing the reductions in fasting insulin. Um, we don't see much in terms of fasting glucose changes in that group or no changes in A1C either. Um, and then there's only been like one or two studies in people with, um, diabetes type two diabetes and the findings there are like really fascinating. Um, so those studies have compared the five, two diet. So again, that's when you like fast, have those like two 500 calorie fast days per week. And they compared it to, um, like daily calorie restriction. And they found that both were like equally as effective for reducing body weight and, and both lowered A1C by, I believe it was by 0.5, which is, doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it is for a dietary intervention. And they both help, help people um, get off their diabetes meds as well. I think there was like a 20 to 30% reduction in, wow. in diabetes medications. Um, and that's a study by Jennifer Keogh's group. Um, she's been running a lot of the like long-term 5-2 um, studies that she, she's an amazing researcher. Interesting. Um, and we were talking a little bit at the beginning of the podcast before I pressed record about the, uh, d- different diseases, other diseases. Um, is your lab doing anything, uh, on intermittent fasting related to specific diseases or yeah. specific, Okay. 
Yeah. So we're running. So again, like pretty much everything is in like healthy pre-diabetes one or two in type two diabetes and, and one study in type one. Um, but we're running a study that just finished um, in people with fatty liver disease, NAFLD, so non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And um, we're just we're just about to publish it. And we're finding that it does work. We've actually combined alternate day fasting with exercise and found that it really helps people lower their liver fat percent. Um, it can also help um, people with fatty liver disease basically are at a much higher risk for developing type two diabetes. Right. So we're finding that it helps correct a lot of that stuff too. Like it lowers their insulin resistance and insulin as well. Um, so that study is coming out soon. We're running, we're actually running like a bunch of studies. It's funny. I couldn't get like NIH funding to save my life really? like five years ago. Oh, now <laughs> you now- are. I know I've been, I've been like literally submitting the same grants for like 15 years. And like, people were like, I don't know about this. Who cares? And then now they've like all been funded. So we're running like, so we're literally running like four clinical trials right now. I know it's wonderful that they're finally starting to listen or just like see what the general public's into. Um, So yeah, the fatty liver disease studies done. Um, We're doing one in people with type two diabetes. So we're running the first ever time restricted eating study in people with type two um, and we literally just started that. So we don't have any data for that one yet. Um, my postdoc is going to be starting um, one for people with women with PCOS because oh. they're, we're getting a lot of like, um, I actually get most of my ideas just from like, kind of like journalists or doing these interviews and people asking like really yeah. interesting questions, or I get a lot of like emails every um basically, you know, just weekly of people saying like, oh, wow, I did this diet. Um, You know, I've been doing alternate day fasting or time restricted eating for 10 years. Like before it got popular, I lost 60 pounds and now I've like reversed my type two diabetes. So, and then a lot of women with PCOS have been using it as well to help like control weight and um, some of the clinical features of PCOS that they're noticing. Yeah. And it's funny. Um, I just have a friend who wrote me, um, she has PCOS and she said, I just started intermittent fasting. I'm like, well, I don't know the evidence on it. So this, I'm going to tell her to listen yeah, to this. basically none. So, <laughs> um, so we'll see. I don't know if she's a list in the Chicago area. Let me know. Yeah, we're, we're, we're creating, creating for the trial. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to ask about, you know, I know, obviously, you know, we, we have, we're having issues with um, child and adolescent obesity too, but most of these trials they're, they're on adults, I assume. Um, is there any interest in uh, kids or adolescents? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually a, one of the co-investigators on this really large study in adolescence that's running out of the University of Sydney in Australia, okay. and it's been running for the past couple of years. They're looking at um, uh, kids ages um, 13 to 18 uh, that are uh, that have like pretty high obesity, so they're in the 95th percentile of the, of their BMI score. So it, it basically means that I think they're about I think they're over like 200 pounds or so. So these are kids that have like fairly so severe obesity and they are finding that it works that it's basically um, adolescents can stick to the diet. They are losing a considerable amount of weight with it, which is great, but there has been a lot of concern with that population group about like eating disorder development, yeah. which I completely understand. Cause I think the kind of average age for people or the range of when people develop eating disorders is like 12 to 22, I think. So yeah. There, yeah. the study was actually shut down like twice by different like eating disorder um, organizations that were really worried about these kids. But they are testing, like throughout the study, they're looking at um, 
eating disorder development. Like they're doing all these questionnaires and tests and, you know, the studies being run by pedi- like obesity pediatricians. So, you know, they're really well-versed right. in the stuff anyway. Um, but yeah, so that, that's the one major study I know of. And then there was a small time restricted eating study in teenagers that came out a couple months ago. And they also found that, um, that it did work. I think it helped, um, a lot of those kids lose like anywhere from like 10 to 20 pounds. Wow. Great. Um, now, as you mentioned at the beginning or earlier in the podcast, um, you said that the weight loss was mostly due to, because you end up eating less calories. Did I understand that correctly? Yep. That's right. Okay. Now, is there anything else though, that's, you know, when it comes to even addressing these specific diseases or specific patient populations, is there something unique about intermittent fasting physiologically versus just cutting calories? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you mean. Um, I, again, after studying this for 15 years, I used to think that there was, but I'd have to say, no, there's no, it's literally just like a different way of doing calorie restriction. Um, I know some of the more like mechanistic researchers in my field might, might disagree, but they tend to do all their stuff in like animals and, you know, the rodent, I think the main thing we're noticing now too, is so many of the studies of intermittent fasting, like in the mid two thousands or early two thousands were all done in like mice or rats and in mice or rats, they're seeing like amazing amazing findings. Like, you know, just like, I know those rats were like, so adherent. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> they never escaped their cages once to like get a minute. Or anything. So, um, so there, you know, I think a lot of the kind of like, um, autophagy and like the ketone stuff is coming from there. Cause the funny thing is like, we can't even measure, you know, autophagy is, uh, just to kind of step back a bit, it's basically this really interesting mechanism that they've noticed mainly from studies in like yeast and worms actually, um, where fasting kind of gives the body a break because you know, you're going to go through these periods of like not eating anything. So when you're not constantly bombarding your body with food, your body literally has like a chance to look inward on itself. And autophagy literally means like self eating. So basically the body starts to like break down and dispose of like cell components that were kind of like broken or misbehaving kind of, and it starts to like recycle them or just like completely get rid of them. So it's literally like fasting gives the body a chance to, yeah, just look inwards and like clean itself up pretty much. Um, But all of, we can't even measure autophagy in humans. Like that's the one thing, whenever I see these like YouTube videos, I'm like, wait a second, what are you talking about? We can't even measure this in humans. Like why? Like I'll get all these emails from people saying like, how much protein should I be eating to like lower my, you know, to like, or to boost my autophagy. And I'm just like, what? We have no idea. I don't even think that's like the mechanism that's responsible for any of this. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of wellness coaches and whatnot out there on YouTube and and that funny. Um, I, I actually was calling, I had two researchers recently, I just recorded an episode They're in Germany. Um, they were studying a protein in the hypothalamus, how to manipulate it. And it was related to, um, autophagy. If I'm saying that word, right. I, I didn't say it right during that podcast. I kept saying like autophagy or something like that, but in, yeah, in Australia, in the UK, they say autophagy. And then here we say autophagy. I don't <laughs> I, even know, honestly, I was, like, <laughs> I was just like stumbling over the word, but, um, so, but it, it's interesting with this, uh, so maybe, I'm, I actually haven't put that podcast up yet, but it's, it's sort of related. Um, but they were more focused, I think on trying to manipulate this protein or create an inhibitor, um, and maybe helps, it helps with like stress response and obesity and that kind of thing. Um, very cool. Yeah. It's, it, I don't, but it was, it was in mice. Um, so right. So there wasn't a large human 
uh, clinical trial. And, and I think, you know, you made a good point, like what happens in mice doesn't always happen in humans. Um, yeah. And in particular with intermittent fasting, we're realizing that like a lot of that stuff, I don't think translate, like, I think, you know, all the, the, like basically in a mouse, you're seeing these like amazing benefits. And then in humans, it's all because adherence is lower in humans, like much lower. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like people right. say they're doing these diets, but they're probably only doing them like a couple days a week at most. Right. Um, so we're not seeing like these incredible effects. Like we are seeing effects, but nothing close to what we see in like the animal models. So one thing I was curious about, uh, you know, when you talk about the, the feast days versus the fast days, I, I assume before I read your review, I was, I assumed that, you know, um, there'd be a lot of variation on these feast days and people risk, uh, binging or, you know, or gorging, um, or eating food that was less healthy, kind of like, oh, let's get in, get it in while we can. Um, that's, what did you find on that? Yeah. So we, that's like one of the very first things I studied. Cause I have to admit, I actually started my studies of um, alternate day fasting in rodents as well. Um, but then, you know, after running a few of those studies, I was like, well, how are humans going to, you know, can they, well, for my first question was like, can they do this? Can you have somebody with obesity just eat 500 calories every other day? Is that yeah. like feasible? And we found, yeah, people can stick to it actually for up to a year. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to measure is exactly what you're talking about. Like, if you only have 500 calories one day, what are you going to do like the next day? <laughs> like in response to that. Um, so what we found was super interesting. And, and we've actually seen this effect in thousands of people where if you do eat just 500 calories one day, the next day, people actually only eat about 10% more. So they're eating maybe like hundred to 200 calories more than they would normally eat. So they're not binging at all. So there's something with fasting um, that's helping people like come become like more in touch with their hunger cues or just like feel fuller faster. We're not quite sure exactly what it is, but, um, but yeah, it's great. So people don't overeat on that day. And then, you know, that creates like a net energy deficit and that's why people are losing weight. Yeah. That, that surprised me because I just, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I could do alternate day fasting with my personality, but I could, I could always, I already see myself like planning to eat, like, Oh, I'm gonna eat this pizza the next day. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it'll work out for me. Maybe it could though. Maybe I'm just underestimating my abilities, but, um, we also, yeah, the other question we get kind of around that is with time-restricted eating, we've run like studies with short eating windows. So like four and six hour eating windows kind of to see what happens. Cause like, there's a lot of people in like Silicon Valley, I think like the CEO of Twitter or something is doing that. Oh, and yeah. We get a lot of questions. So we're like, oh, let's see if that works. If anyone can do it. And we only ran a two month study, but people stuck to it actually really well. But the question oh. that we had from like, when we're like undergoing peer review, the reviewers were really concerned about like what they were eating. Like if you only have four hours to eat, like, you know, and after you've been fasting for like 20 hours or more, um, what are you going to do? And so we actually found, we looked at their like diet quality through food records and we found that diet quality didn't change at all. Like it wasn't amazing to begin with, but they didn't start reaching for like Big Macs are just like yeah. super high energy dense, high sugar foods. So they actually like still ate fairly healthy um, during smaller eating windows as well. That's great. I, I mean, that's like very positive in my, in my opinion. Um, I wanted to ask about um, blood pressure. I know you mentioned blood pressure before, and I think you wrote in the review that there was a, it showed a positive effect in, in groups of people who had high blood pressure at baseline one of the things I found interesting was the time restrictive eating, um, the blood pressure decreased if they stopped eating after 3 PM. 
Was that right? Oh, they, yeah. So that's that early time restricted eating study by Courtney Peterson's group. She's also another like phenomenal researcher in this area. Um, She did a study, one of the only early time restricted eating studies. Um, One thing I do need to point out too, is that time restricted eating is like super popular now, but because none of us could basically get funding, it's only been studied for like five years. There's maybe 20 clinical trials in it. Yeah. So there, you know, alternate day fasting and five, two, there's like more information out there and longer term trials, but time restricted eating. Yeah. It was just impossible to get a grant. Like it was, it was crazy. And all of us like in this field were like, no, this is going to be big. Like, please give us some money. So we can like answer these questions. Um, but yeah, so for that one, she did, um, early time restricted eating where everyone ate, I believe between nine and three. So 9am to 3pm. And she found, um, really nice. And, oh, and she also made people eat, um, the, like their calories for weight maintenance. So they didn't lose any weight. So the cool part about that study is that she saw all these really interesting, um, changes like improvements in insulin sensitivity and blood pressure. Um, if you stop eating by three, even if you're like not calorie restricting at the same time. So I think, yeah, that, that study really like blew up on the internet and got a lot of attention. Um, now with the lipids, what was the effect on that? And then it, and I did think of this and I, I you listed it as a limitation in your study. What it, it would matter when you draw the blood, right? Cause if you're fasting or if you're not fasting, um, that's true. Yeah. So in our studies, we always do like fasting blood samples. Um, but basically there's, it depends again, as I mentioned, like if people are kind of like borderline high cholesterol or have like high cholesterol, so like high LDL cholesterol, they're way more likely to see like a change in cholesterol levels. Um, so they can see anywhere from like a 10 to 25% reduction. So similar to what you'd get with like kind of a milder dose of statins, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it, it definitely works, but it works far better if people have like elevated cholesterol at baseline, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, safety. These diets are relatively safe. Are there anything that people need to worry about? Any specific populations need to worry about anything? Um, yeah, great question. Um, so in general, yeah, they are very safe. The only thing that we notice in our trials is that people develop like headaches in the first week or so, but that's usually just cause they're not like drinking enough water. Yeah. Um, just cause, you know, as you eat less, you're actually like consuming less water as well. Cause there's a lot of water in the food. So we always tell people to make sure they have a water bottle with them and then just drink a lot of water. And that tends to get rid of the headaches cause they're usually due to dehydration. Um, but yeah, we don't have a lot of people complain of like, the whole like hangry thing, you know, the, the first 10 days I have to say are like pretty rough. So it takes people like a while to adjust to like this, like new, like up down pattern of eating kind of thing. But after that, people feel great. People actually feel like a boost of energy on fast days, which I always found interesting. Um, it might be like an evolutionary thing where like, if your body doesn't have food, it will like get energy to like go out into the environment and like find food or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so that in general, it's fine for people with type two diabetes. However, um, there's a lot of concern obviously about like hypoglycemia. 
So um, for that population group, it's super important that they work with their endocrinologist to adjust meds, particularly like the sulfons. I can never say it right. Sulfonylureas. Um, yeah, those ones. And then um, insulin as well. So in our type two diabetes study we're running right now, we're, we're just, we, I kind of have a firsthand experience of, of what we have to do. Um, but yeah, please work with your doctors and you can start adjusting those meds basically on day one of fasting. Yeah. I can imagine that could be really tricky with, um, with some people for sure. Um, now did I read, there's a link to oxidative stress and intermittent fasting. Uh, yeah, we, we have noticed that, um, intermittent fasting. So time restricted eating, and there's some studies of alternate day fasting showing that it does, uh, decrease oxidative stress. So oxidative stress is basically that balance between like how many free radicals are made in your body and how much your body can like get rid of them pretty much. So you have like increased oxidative stress. If, um, those free radicals are getting a little out of control, basically. Um, so yeah, we're finding that it actually decreases that, um, uh, which, which is wonderful for like so many disease processes, but, um, I haven't seen many changes, honestly, in like inflammation. So that's another thing where like people are seeing lots of improvements in ins- inflammation and in, like animal models of intermittent fasting, but in humans, um, we go through it in the paper. There's basically it, that stuff never changes like CRP or, um, like homocysteine or IL six or TNF alpha. Any of those don't tend to change in humans. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I was thinking about oxidative stress, you know, just, uh, as you said, it had, there's that's, that gives it uh, the potential for so many other types of things other or to address certain disease process processes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Potentially. Yeah. Um, but we have to study all this stuff. Um, where should people, you know, lots of people, you know, and I'm, I talk to a lot of people who, um, work in wellness in one way or the other where should people go and get advice or, you know, on intermittent fasting? Are there like reputable websites out there that you look at and you're like, oh, this person, this, this site is great. Um, or do they have to go to the, to like your paper, find your paper in nature I mean, the scientific journals? Um, I don't know if a lot of people read the scientific journals. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to get access to them. As it well. is. I, it is. I, I rent them now though. I, I rent them and read oh. them and that, that work. Cause they aren't, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. Oh no. I know like that. The one that we published, I think is like $35 or something if you want to download it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, well, first of all, so I, I did notice this gap where like people didn't know what to do. So I actually created um, like an Instagram page that has like a lot of like just FAQs on there. Um, it's at Dr. Krista Verity, um, just to answer like, you know, like, can I drink alcohol with these diets? Can I exercise? How, what do I do when I reach a plateau? Like all of that stuff, just, you know, going through, cause we, again, like we've run so many people through these studies. Like not only do we have like all the like published data, but I just have like so much like clinical app, you know, just like the applications. I'm like, well, this kind of worked for somebody or whatever, you know? Um, so there's that, but I'd say like, if you type in intermittent fasting, um, the first like five websites that pop up are like Healthline and stuff. And that stuff is fine. Like it's see, they seem to be referencing the literature and like, you know, so if you just want like a general way, but the cool things about these diets is that honestly, you don't even really need a book or are like that much, you know, like literally time restricted eating is like, you pick the duration of your window. It's like eight hours. Where do you want to place it? 12 to eight. Cool. And then you just like, make sure that you have like calorie free beverages during your fasting period. So like black coffee, black tea is fine. Oh, 
um, yes. we asked people ask you about coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we asked people to like, we get a lot of questions about like diet sodas too. So um, we allow them just because people really like them and we don't want people to, you know, the minute you ask somebody to like overhaul their diet, they're not going to stick to it for a long right. time. So, right. so we say like a limit of two diet sodas during the fasting period. Cause there is some literature showing that it can increase sugar craving. Um, and then alcohol, you know, you can have your glass of wine or whatever during your time restricted eating window. But um, with alternate day fasting, we ask that people like don't have alcohol on the fast day, just because it's like so many calories. You only have yeah. 500 calories to, for that day anyway. Yeah. Um, these are great points. So Dr. Krista Verity on Instagram. So for our listeners, that that's your Insta. I'll link to you. I'll link to your Instagram in the podcast description, because I think a lot of people would want to follow you. Um Oh, and, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I just started it a few months ago and I'm getting a fairly good following so far. Just, I, it's just because I get all these questions like over email and I'm like, oh, I might as well just put them in a more easily like digestible form. Oh, it's great. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, uh, you, you have all the credentials and you're running all the trials. So that, that helps, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, what you're talking <laughs> no, <that's true>. about. <laughs> I know, I know it is. I'm, I, I have to admit it is difficult seeing like the other intermittent fasting, like some of them are wonderful, but some of them I'm just like, Oh no, this is like not supported yeah. in science at all. And yeah. I totally understand. It's like so hard for people to get like reliable information when like with the internet, when everyone is like Everyone's a an expert. expert. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it is very hard. Um, and and then, you know, there's like, there's kind of like this lack of trust in like conventional credentials and stuff like that. But, um, I don't understand that. Um, and then why people put their trust in other things, you know what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't mean that that person knows what they're talking about, but, um, yeah, I think, sure. I think just talking about even like research and why it's important, why the trials are important, getting people to understand that, you know, um, helps, um, you know, I, cause the people I talk to, they don't necessarily, they couldn't tell, Oh, this is a good study or, or this is a better study. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why like I had to do a whole PhD to be able to understand that. Like it's no, it's just like, yeah, yeah. like how are they using the right stats or the right trials? Right. The right so, measurements. Is it powered correctly? Totally. Yeah. I just um, think too with like nutrition research, a lot of people are, you know, not following it or believing it anymore just because like it just fluctuates so much. So like, I think in like time magazine and like the eighties, the cover was like cholesterol and eggs, like the worst thing for you oh, in the world. And yeah. then like five years ago, it was the same cover of time where it's like, cholesterol is not bad for you after all. And <laughs> I think it's just because like in nutrition research, like we just don't have a reliable way of measuring people's diets, like everything self-report. And if someone's in a study, they're going to just tell you what you want to hear. So yeah. it's that whole like, you know, white coat effect or whatever it's called. So it's yeah. just so hard to get at like what people are eating. So we can't like, you know, make any solid conclusions just yet. That's true. That's true. Um, I hear a lot of people, they'll say, well, this worked for me. This is what I did. Um, I, there's probably that too, I guess a personal, like if someone told me I had to eat only protein, you know, I, I couldn't do it. It just, you know, yeah. steaks or like, you know, I guess the Atkins diet, I just, I couldn't do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then like the one thing I always try to like drive home too is like, I don't think intermittent fasting is better than like any other diet. Like, I think it's just like another thing for like doctors or dietitians, like another like tool in their toolbox for people that have maybe failed with like daily calorie restriction or whatever diet. It's just like something else people can try, but yeah. ultimately people just need to find something that they can incorporate into their lifestyle for long-term so they can yeah. like lose the weight and like keep it off. And yeah. hopefully IF is like, you know, works for some people. 
Final question here. Um, thank you so much. This was really informative. Um, th so thank you for your time. And um, your review was fantastic. It was really thorough. I loved it. Um, so do you think intermittent fasting is going to be uh, play a more prominent role in our fight against obesity? And do you foresee any changes to our recommended food pyramid, so to speak? Um, I, yeah, I think intermittent fasting, it's definitely gaining some traction in like the guidelines. So if you look at like the American diabetes association guidelines, they they're trying to incorporate it, but they do say that we need more like long-term trials. Mm. Um, and then I don't know, admittedly, I gotta say like the dietitians are not really hot on the intermittent fasting. We get a lot of like, I, when I started giving talks about intermittent fasting, like 10 years ago, like people, if I was talking to dietitians, people would like storm out of the room and be like, oh, you're giving people. <laughs> An eating disorder or like you're starving oh, them to death or whatever oh, um because the thing is people too think that like alternate day fat or these things will like mess up your metabolism oh, so your metabolism right. yeah your metabolism is basically just the amount of calories you need every day and we've shown and lots of other labs have shown that like as you lose weight your calorie needs just go down there your calorie needs are like 85 percent of that's predicted by your muscle mass so as you lose weight 25% of your weight loss is muscle mass and 75 is usually fat mass. So, and that happens in both like daily calorie restriction and intermittent fasting. So because of that, they both, you know, with 10 to 20 pounds of weight loss, you're going to lower your meta your metabolism by like, you know, hundred to 200 calories. So I think, I think they're still like kind of caught up with that. I'm not sure, but the diet, I don't know the American like dietetic association. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if that food pyramid's yeah. ever going to change, but, <laughs> but the more like clinical guidelines for like NAFL, like the hepatologists and stuff, I think are more on board and same with all the endocrinologists and diabetes experts. Yeah. Yeah. It can, I mean, it can take a long time to change any guidelines. Um, it, it, it's hard, especially government guidelines. That's really hard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was great. Thank you so much, Dr. Krista Verity. I, um, if you guys have questions, I will post her Instagram so you can uh, follow her and ask her directly. This was great. And um, I will definitely follow you and uh, definitely try to stay up to date on all of your trials that are coming out. I'm glad to hear you're getting funding though. That's, that's really positive. Oh, Gary. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was really fun. And then, yeah, let me know if you ever want me to come on in like a year or two when we finished all these like diabetes and publish the yes. fatty well, I'm happy to give you guys updates on, because we're looking now more at like different population groups because that yes. hasn't really been fully explored yet. So absolutely. Anyway, thanks so much. Def definitely. All right. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day there. Oh, thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Um, oh. All right. Okay. Can I leave now or? Oh. I wasn't sure if it was like the end of the podcast or the end of the, I, I never know what you I'm like, see you later. I know. I no, I <laughs> that was funny. Um... All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Causes or Cures. Hopefully you learned something. If you didn't learn anything, well, good for you for knowing it all. Um, if you have any comments, questions, if you want to share the meaning of life, I'm always looking for that. You can email me, Erin at bloomingwellness.com. And I, I try to read everybody's message and take your feedback into account, um, and whatnot and so forth. Yada, yada, yada. Um, and I also just, I want to add that, uh, I, I really want to thank Dr. Verity for coming on, and uh, it's great 
that researchers are willing to do this. And I'm really happy to have this little independent platform for them to do this because, you know, science is hard. Reading scientific papers is hard. Um, it's, there's complexities, there are details. Sometimes we think we understand something, but we don't realize we're forgetting like a whole bunch of details. Um, so, and, and this is true even, you know, when you see headlines or you read articles and you're like, huh? Because uh, sometimes even for writers, it, it's just hard. It's just, science is hard. Science is hard. Um, anyways, and also, you know, sometimes the, the research papers, they're expensive to read. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but like, for example, this review that I read, I rented it. Um, yes, you can rent the scientific papers, first, some scientific papers, not all. Um, or you can, you know, purchase them. They're not cheap. They're not cheap. So that's another reason why, um, yeah, I mean, and yeah, if you're affiliated with an academic, you know, medical center or if you're a public health agency, you might have like a subscription to a journal or whatever, but they're not cheap and times are tough. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's why I think it's, it's, I'm even more grateful when the researchers come on to, try to explain what they're doing in an easy to understand way. So, you know, you guys can get your questions answered, so to speak. Um, all right. That's it. I hope you subscribe. I hope you share the episode and dang it. I hope you have a good day. (laughs) All right. I am going to finish drinking my coffee here and head out for a morning run. All right, guys. Bye.